Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh, hello there. Nate Langson here, and this text message was sent to you on the 26th of January from my new studio, which I built from scratch with my own hands. It's time to reverse chronologically sort the last seven days with Top of the Pods, the top 10 technology news stories affecting the UK and its acquaintances, or acquaintai, this week. The BBC reports that Sky will block smut by default unless users opt out. The decision has been announced in a blog post and will be phased in over the coming weeks. This follows a 2013 decision by Prime Minister David Cameron to put pressure on internet service providers to make online filtering mandatory, saying it was the best way to protect the children. His requests cause controversy over politicians and me and the internet industry. Since then, most of the UK ISPs have offered filtering software for parents concerned about what their children may or may not be able to access online, but few have offered this by default, opting instead to allow parents or other customers to turn the smut filters on if they want them. Next up at number 9, by me, on Wired, one of the last things I wrote for Wired in fact, Bethesda has announced that it's dropping the subscription fee for the multiplayer fantasy game Elder Scrolls Online and revealed the UK will get PS4 and Xbox One editions of the game on the 9th of June 2015. Currently, UK gamers, myself included, pay £10... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The month on top of the upfront cost of the game. This allows access to the multiplayer server as well as regular and sizable content updates that introduce new activities in the game. Instead, the game will now only come with an upfront cost. After that, gaming is free of any additional charge. Fees in the future will come from the addition of convenience and customization options, which have terrified fans of the game, although initial fears may be somewhat unfounded because it turns out that you will be able to continue subscribing to the game through something called ESO Plus, which gets you all DLC for free, or at least as part of your subscription, as well as bonuses to the amount of XP, experience that you earn in the game, and the in-game gold. So it's not too terrifying, but I do have a full write-up on Wired if you wish to check that out. Next up at number 8, Julie Clover on Mac Rumors has reported that 123456 has been named 2014's Worst Password of the Year, also known as Worst Password Ever. Despite the multitude of password management apps now available, like 1Password and LastPass and all those sorts of things, many people continue to use easily guessable words and number strings to protect their sensitive information. One of the most popular passwords in 2014 was, as noted, 123456. This is according to a, uh, a list of leaked 2014 passwords gathered by Splash Data. The second most common password was, believe it or not, because I think this was the same last year, Password. 
followed by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, followed by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, then QWERTY. Oh, they've been popular for years and they actually, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and Password uh, were two of the most commonly used passwords in 2013 as well. Seriously, people, do not use these as your password. You do not even need your password hacking if this is what you have. You just need someone to run their fingers on a keyboard in what I like to call a glissando approach to computer hacking. Next up at number seven, Matt Warman on The Telegraph has reported that users will be able to charge their mobile phones wirelessly in 10 Starbucks cafes in the UK by the end of the month. The free trial service, at least as a trial to begin with, follows a pledge in the US to follow up a similar service in San Francisco with a national rollout across 2,000 branches. Of the two competing wireless charging standards currently available, Starbucks has chosen PowerMat, requiring users to plug in an adapter to their phone. It's a ring-shaped device and it will be able to borrow one from the uh, barristers, or, the, or they cost £10 each, and will be offered for new and old Apple adapters as well as those phones using the micro USB standard. To charge efficiently, phones must be placed on a specially equipped table that Starbucks is installing into the branches across London. So here's the deal. Instead of using a cable to plug into a, a phone socket or into a USB port or into a plug adapter under the seat, you can now plug in one of the adapters that you can conveniently borrow from staff and then you can plug that into your phone and then put your phone in the center of the table on a mat where you can't probably use it as easily as if you'd have plugged a cable in in the first place. But still, good news! In at number six, Dan Worth on V3 reports that the UK startup success story Shazam has been valued at $1 billion after a round of funding recently. This is the company that recognizes music from speakers in clubs and bars through an app on your phone, laptops, that sort of thing. And it's still headquartered in London and comes at a time when numerous efforts are taking place to ensure that the UK supports startups that could go on to become, quote, billion dollar companies. This has long eluded the UK. In fact, the vast majority of startup successes come from either Silicon Valley in the United States or European nations such as Spotify in Sweden and Rovio in Finland. In at number five, quirky on this, James Temperton, writing for Wired.co.uk, has reported that teams from around the world will be competing in the UK's first international Segway polo tournament. The event will be held in rugby, bit ironic, this April and is being billed as the warm-up tournament for the sport's biggest event, the Woz Challenge Cup which is named after Apple co-founder and Segway polo player Steve Wozniak. 16 teams are confirmed so far, with three from the UK and teams from Barbados, Germany, Lebanon, the Netherlands, Spain, Sweden and the US also being involved. The tournament is being organised by UK Segway Polo, an organisation started in 2014 by former polo player and coach Mark Weller in an attempt to encourage take-up of the fledgling sport in the UK. At number four, Mick Wright writing for the next web, says that Apple has acquired Symmetric, another London-based company, a startup no less, behind music analytics service Music Metric. Symmetric hasn't commented on the deal, but Apple confirmed it to Music Alley in a boilerplate statement. No information on the terms or acquisition price has been revealed so far. However, Mick reports that the next web has learnt that the deal is likely worth less than the reported $100 million Spotify paid for the Echo Nest, which does a similar function. In at number three, another one from Wired, because why not, I left this week. Coming from James Temperton again, the company behind three has confirmed it is in an exclusive negotiation to buy O2. Hong Kong-based Hutchinson Wampoa said it would pay £10.25 billion, but any deal would be dependent on due diligence and regulatory approval. Hutchinson said it had offered £9.25 billion for O2, with a deferred payment of up to £1 billion after the deal completes. 
The two companies have agreed a period of several weeks to try and conclude a deal. Sky and TalkTalk Talk have also been linked to O2. And number two, Siris Farivar on Ars Technica reports that the Government Communications Headquarters, more commonly known as GCHQ, the British sister agency of the US National Security Agency, captured emails of some journalists out of 70,000 messages intercepted in 10 minutes during a November 2008 test. According to The Guardian, which on Monday cited some of its Snowden documents as its source, although did not publish them, the emails were scooped up as part of the intelligence agency's direct fibre taps. Journalists from the BBC, Reuters, Guardian, New York Times, Le Mans, Sun, NBC and The Washington Post were apparently targeted. And at the top of the pods this week, Andrew Cunningham writes on Ars Technica something that we could not ignore. Microsoft has announced the first pricing information for Windows 10 at a preview event. The biggest news is that the OS will be completely free for current Windows 8.1 and Windows 7 users for its first year of availability. After that time has expired, OS upgrades will presumably need to be paid for as they are currently, although Microsoft was, according to uh, Andrew Cunningham, less clear on this point and made no mention of a paid Office 365-style subscription for the Windows upgrades. This is big news because it gives everybody who's on Windows 7 and who didn't want to upgrade to any of the Windows 8.1 releases or 8 releases will be able to upgrade to Windows 10, which does seem to have fixed a lot of the problems with Windows 8. And it also means people on Windows 8, like me for my gaming machine, will get to move away from the evil that is Windows 8.1. That's a little bit harsh, but it is a pain in the ass to use, let's be honest, uh, to Windows 10. So this offers people an opportunity to get onto the latest release for no cost and maybe more importantly even for Microsoft it allows them to consolidate users on Windows 7 and Windows 8 onto Windows 10 and put no price barrier there for businesses or personal users to do so. And now onto a section that I like to call true or false previously heard in many other programs probably by the same name this one however will present a new story and then after the second half of the show I will explain whether that story was true or indeed was it false and this week the news is that an underground dinosaur museum is being planned for construction in Dorset is that true or is it false we'll find out after the second half of our show concludes which is coming up now well, joining me now, a familiar voice to some people listening, possibly. Here's what it sounds like. Hello. It's Olivia Solon. <laughs> Olivia underscore Solon. Did, well, I think you left that in in, uh, in the wired office. I, well, I don't know where it is. There was but... something lying on the floor near where you used to sit. Yeah. Um, well, without being too self-indulgent, um, Liv and I obviously used to work together on Wired. Um, Liv now at the Mirror yes. online, mm-hmm. editing the technology desk. Yes. And we thought it would be interesting to talk about some of the differences between working online. So I was editor of, of Wired.co.uk. I'm sure most people listening at this point probably know that. And Liv was deputy editor. So we did very, very similar jobs day to day, but alongside a monthly magazine. Liv now doing similar work, I'm, I'm assuming on online, but alongside a daily tabloid newspaper. Mm. So we thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of see how that transition has felt and uh you know not going into sort of what it's like to be in the industry but at least in terms of anecdotal differences um so how have you found actually being on a daily paper rather than next to a monthly magazine it's really interesting it's very fast paced 
Like the advantage we used to have at Wired was that the magazine was monthly, obviously, and we were daily. And so everything we did always felt like we were, you know, breaking news very quickly. But with a daily newspaper, the print edition is has a super quick turnaround anyway. So the pace has, has been a bit of a a little bit of a change and, and things like starting much, much earlier. But um, in terms of, you know, a lot of things are, are quite similar, I think. I think we have a slightly different, well, a very different audience, but I think there are a lot of things that haven't surprised me so much. Yeah. How do you find, how is the atmosphere? I mean, a tabloid um, is very, you know, the red tops yeah. are, I imagine it's a slightly different atmosphere to to Wired. Yeah. Um, I mean, what what is the atmosphere there like? Is it, um, and is it quite positive? Is it upbeat? Um, I think they haven't really, in terms of technology, they haven't really had a strong focus on technology until I've joined. Uh, so the idea is that I'm building out the tech section. And I think the attitude, the, a lot of the bigger stories for the Mirror are still celebrity driven. They're very crime driven or terrorism driven and um, and football driven. So technology hasn't been a big part of what they've covered before and as a consequence a lot of the stories about technology have tended to be a, a little bit kind of fearful of technology you know what's it doing to our kids you know how are people going to kind of cope with all this you know online bullying etc and and I think that that's hopefully I'm trying to bring a bit more positivity to that space you know yeah. and and see technology as something not to be scared of but to be excited about and and, you know, I think most people who understand technology don't f- fear it, but they understand that there are risks associated with all of these things. Well, one story that I know that you've written um, had a genius bit of pun. As you know, I, I love a bit of punning, <laughs> a bit of wordplay. This story, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, immortalised in human poo portraits. <laughs> I mean... Yes. You've written some weird stuff in your time. This is fascinating. What's the story behind this? So the story is there's a kind of Banksy-type graffiti artist in in New York called Katsu, and he's got a bit of a problem with some of the privacy issues around Facebook. And he's done a few pieces of work in the past where he's... Um, take made posters of Mark Zuckerberg but on this instance he's made a portrait of the Facebook founder but he's made it using his own feces. Now this is what I wanted to double check because... Not Zuckerberg's feces. Well I wasn't sure whose feces uh, was... uh, Katsu's feces. Katsu's feces. I mean this is a fairly standard um, I mean it's quite realistic. I mean to be fair he's, he's got him quite accurately i think i mean he he's changed his clothes slightly there's a uh, i suppose this might not be of no. the same the same person we're looking side by side at a photo of official photo of zuck and then this poo trait yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, interesting so you know you're you're still getting to work on interesting interesting yeah. stories like like I guess, this i guess the the thing about the mirror is that uh, at Wired, people were interested in technology for technology's sake, and it was a very um, a, the audience had a high level of understanding about about tech and and whereas with the Mirror, we're fighting for position on the homepage where there are stories about you know beheadings and there are stories about Kim Kardashian's ass, and so the tech stories have to stand up against uh, against those. Whereas at Wired, people might just be interested about 
tech for tech's sake and i think we you know there's a big audience at the mirror but not all of them are that bothered about technology so how do yeah. you make it interesting to them because it almost certainly will affect them did nasa hide ufo with sticky tape yeah um, you know <laughs> it did but unfortunately like a ufo is unidentified flying object and what i love is so many people will just read that instantly that as it must mean an alien and i think that's weird that that's become shorthand for alien when actually it's just something that people don't know what it, it is yeah so it could just be a little ice blob but what we do know is that there was sticky tape put over an object on this film that was shot from i think it was from the iss mm. incredible graffiti artist creates world's largest gif that can be seen from space i didn't write that. i don't know who wrote that that's, one. That was that's place. tremendous and um Am I going down? App calculates chance of your plane your plane crashing. Oh god, not one for uh, not one for for my brother who's terrified of flying. So I mean, a really interesting spread of of um, of interesting stories. So it's in terms of you sort of making this live. Yeah, I think mission mission accomplished. Um, I think so. Yeah. So what what's been what's been achievement number one that you felt since in, since the transition? Uh, achievement number one is probably conveying a sense of excitement for a much broader sense of what technology is so i think in the past um it's been assumed that technology um, should just be about gadgets which i think is a very important part of technology um, journalism technology coverage but for me technology affects every single part of our lives and i think in imbuing that enthusiasm about some of the weird stuff that's happening in research labs or you know how what our privacy means to us on social media um it, i think that's been been a pretty important role mm. and what's been what's been the biggest challenge something that's kind of interesting at the mirror at a really mass market tabloid website is the technology part of the story you sometimes have to bury in the headline because I'm fighting to get my stories onto the homepage, which is where most of the traffic comes from. And so there was a great story where um, a dog, which had been born with no front limbs, had had some 3D printed legs created for it, which allowed the dog to run for the first time. Now, if I was writing that story for Wide, we would have almost certainly focused on the 3D printing element to that. That was yeah. the tech hook for why we would be writing about it at Wired but the mirror you know the technology isn't interesting for technology's sake actually the story that was the biggest sell for the mirror audience is the fact that this you know dog that was unable to walk before was suddenly able to walk so although the story itself didn't really change in terms of how we wrote it the headline became much much more important and I submitted it once you know saying something like 3d printed legs help dog walk for the first time and then submitted it again uh, you know an hour later um, after you know some feedback and it was you know watch the moment a disabled dog walks the first time um thanks to 3d printed legs and mm. the cell for most people who if you're not already interested in 3d printing isn't the fact that they're 3d printing prosthetic legs it's the fact that this dog is able to walk and there's an amazing video of it and that's been a bit of a steep learning curve in terms of how do you get people to read about technology who perhaps aren't interested in technology for technology's sake i'm with you it's um it's one of those moments I, I think that really makes you have to pause. <laughs> Sorry. 
If you were giving advice to younger journalists, let's say, eyeing up a website of a daily paper or something like Mirror mm. Online um, as a career goal, what's, what skills do you think they should have? And is there anything that you may think that they would expect to need that actually they might not? This is going to sound really trite, but having a good sense for what a, a good story is, as in... Liv grimaced ever so slightly saying that. And, and... I know, but I think a lot of time, it's so easy to get caught up in the churn of the stories. And actually you can find really interesting angles in a story that everyone is talking about. You can find an angle that's different, that makes, you know, gives readers a reason to be reading your version of the story rather than just another version of the, you know, news agency copy that's been distributed to 300 outlets and you're just rewriting it in a slightly different way Mm. and I think that's um, and and actually also now seeing storytelling online as not just being words and pictures but being data, being charts, being interactive tools being timelines GIFs, you know, telling stories in, in ways that is perhaps, you know, not just words and pictures You can, of course, catch Liv on Olivia underscore Solon on Twitter. And Liv will be joining us as a regular guest on Text Message. Co-host, in fact, I should say. A regular co-host. And I dearly look forward to continuing casting many a pod with her. And now it's time to present the answer to the first half of the show's true or false. I said that there was an underground dinosaur museum being planned in Dorset. It turns out it's true. And they reckon the charity that's behind the plans for the Underground Dinosaur Museum on the Jurassic Coast, uh, it's planned it could bring £20 million into the local economy every year. It will cost £80 million to build. It's going to be called Jurassica and will be built in a 40-metre-deep limestone quarry in Portland in Dorset. Science journalist Mike Hanlon, according to the BBC, said that the idea of Jurassica, quote, has the potential to create something of global significance. And if it goes ahead, there's an estimated just under one million visitors a year expected. It could be completed by 2020. I, for one, cannot wait to go and podcast, maybe a video podcast, I think, in the Underground Dinosaur Museum. And then everybody that comes to watch can walk home and say the dinosaurus do the podcast live (laughs) he sorry i'll be back next week with another text message sent straight into your head for the meantime though we are still working i say we it's me sat in the corner of a studio in my house but i am still experimenting with the format we've got other guests coming up lots of different types of um, second half content planned over the coming weeks so do bear with me as i experiment a little bit with the format but do go to natelangston.com slash podcast where you can find an rss feed you can also find a link to itunes i would genuinely love to hear what you think of the show so far i've only done two episodes of course many more planned once every single week and we've got a couple of reviews that i've noticed already showed up on itunes which is amazing given that i've only actually put out one show But if you do feel like leaving an encouraging comment in iTunes on any of the stores, that would be really, really useful because it helps get the show noticed um, and uh, it it ends up on the homepage as new and noteworthy. Um, It would save me the bother of emailing Apple to ask them if they can put it there. So do do that and let me know any thoughts, comments, questions, feedback, suggestions, hate mail, anything you want. Langson at iCloud.com. That's where I place my eyes and where you can place your opinions to have a tryst with my eyes. It will be brilliant. Until next week, I'm Nate Langson. Thank you for listening.